Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse Rosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 14th, 2022, including Kingdom Hearts 4 is real, unfortunately, and officially announced. Halo Infinite Season 2 has been detailed and shown off. Xbox seems to be improving the manufacturing of the Xbox Series X and more. On this day in Xbox history, Hummer Badlands was released on Xbox in the US in the year 2006. I'm sure a lot of you guys are just uh, really missing the uh, Hummer racing series. Guys, welcome to episode 149 of the Xbox On Podcast, week 149, just one week away from episode 150. I guess that's a, it's usually considered a milestone in the podcasting world, so a little pat on the back for that. Hey guys, thank you for being here. If you've been here for 150 episodes, if you've been here for one episode, either way, I appreciate you being here, and thanks for the support as always. So, what do you say we we get into this little thing? Guys, doing my uh, usual last click-through on some websites before we hit record, just to make sure no breaking news happened. You know, I would hate to hit record just 30 seconds after it was announced that Xbox is buying Macy's, and for uh, future Macy's Day parades, uh, they're the, the, the going to replace uh, the Minions the, uh, of course, the iconic Illumination Studios minions with grunts from Halo. Oh my god, I can't believe I just drew that conclusion. Grunts from Halo are basically just Xbox version of minions, except grunts were here first and grunts don't make me want to fucking shove dull pencils into my eyeballs. But hey, we're not talking about that. I came across something here. looks like uh, Xbox Series X and S, the series brand of consoles, were the top best-selling consoles in the UK in the month of March. So it's two months in a row for them, because you might remember, they did get that that title again in February for the first time in February in the UK, and now they're claiming it again in March. And, you know, last time we chalked it up to, well, you know, Series S is generally pretty readily available, despite Series X and PlayStation 5s just being impossible to get. Well, there was a restock of Series Xs last, last month, a pretty sizable one. So it looks like uh, it's just Xbox in general kind of, gobbling up the market although of course like as i've said before if playstations were easier to find i'm sure they would probably be outselling the xbox even in territories like the uk but nonetheless a notable victory for the xbox in terms of gaining back some market share that it otherwise lost during those xbox one years like i said i, th- I think this generation is going to be a lot more competitive even though i think sony clearly is going to come out on top in terms of sales uh, xbox definitely has an opportunity to regain a lot of lost attention that that abandon xbox after the 360 into those xbox one ps4 years so congrats to all involved on that now guys let's let's start off this week's episode as we've been doing for the past couple months with some stories of mild amusement some updates some changes things maybe we should talk about corrections if i did anything wrong spoiler alert i'm a goddamn angel i did nothing wrong so nothing to correct in that department but guys we do have a handful of things i'd like to touch on at the top of the Top of the news this week. So this is actually really interesting. This first one is really interesting to compare to another story that came out 
earlier today. The first one being that Square Enix, publisher Square Enix, has said that Guardians of the Galaxy, or actually the developers of Guardians of the Galaxy, Eidos Montreal, have said that the game is now, quote, finding its audience following a slow sales start from when the game came out last fall. Now that the game is available through Game Pass, slowly building an audience, people are taking note of it. And this is not even close to the first time we've seen this this be the case where developers said Game Pass kind of made their game successful or made their game work. Or, you know, if a game wasn't doing great right off the bat, Game Pass kind of gave it a second win and helped it find its audience. And so it, there is a huge narrative going on in, 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 in the commentator and games, in the game's influencer media space. There's this whole contention about whether or not Game Pass is good or bad for the industry. It, it's weird because we get these conflicting reports and it seems like we're getting a lot and a lot, especially these Square Enix published games in, over the past year or plus where it's like, hey, Game Pass actually kind of saved our project or our product rather. It gave us an audience. It got a lot of eyes on our game. And um, it helped, a, you know, an underperforming game turn into something that ultimately was able to serve a pretty dedicated market because a lot of people had that lower barrier to entry. Now, conversely, this morning we saw news that Lauren Lenning, developer and head of on Oddworld Studios, uh, I forget what the studio's called, like, uh, whatever their, their team is, it's something related to Oddworld, but they, they launched that game at the, I think it was around this time last year, Oddworld Soulstorms, which was, I think that was like a ground-up remake of the second game. I don't remember. But it basically launched into PlayStation Plus when it came out. And uh, he was speaking recently in the news about how PlayStation Plus was actually devastating to the game's performance, or, or rather the game's sales. And I, I don't know, I find that interesting because, obviously, if you are a PlayStation Plus subscriber and you get those free games and something like a brand new release like Oddworld is, is included in that, you're not going to go buy that game. You're going to play it, including your subscription, and you're not going to go spend independent money on just that game. But you are going to find a bigger audience. So you have to weigh, you know, which one's going to be more beneficial to you. The large chunk of change that a Sony or Microsoft is going to give you for having your game on that service. Or the money you could make selling it independently without that marketing push, without that service to kind of put it in front of the people. And it's it's a balancing act. And that's why it's a little bit of a gamble for everyone. And it's not always going to be the same story. But here we have an example of someone saying, hey, PlayStation Plus hindered my game's ability to sell. And then we see, conversely, Square Enix being like, well, Game Pass, you know, helped this game that was selling poorly find an audience. And so it's it's hard because I think we're going to, it's going to take a long time of figuring out what kind of games perform, how, how certain types of games perform and having a market kind of adapt to and learn and, and see the patterns of how these kind of games work, whether, you know, what belongs on a service and, and what, you know, like, for example, I, I wasn't going to buy Guardians of the Galaxy. I said when it was announced, I'm not going to buy this game because I can I can just tell by looking at it, this game will be on Game Pass within six months of its release. So I'm not going to spend 60 bucks. I'm just going to patiently wait and I'll play it then. Well, you know, fortunately, I, I had a friend who actually picked it up for me for, for Christmas. So I ended up getting to play it before I came to Game Pass. But had that not been the case, I would have been right because that's exactly what ended up happening. The game is like barely five or six months old and it's already on Game Pass. And so... You're going to see more and more of a market kind of start to see those patterns and adopt those patterns and, and those habits. And that's going to have a massive impact on how people buy games based on how a game is looking and, uh, and, and where they want to spend their money. And then you have games like this where it's like you don't even have the choice because from the get, it's included in a service like Oddworld. Um, like we're seeing with MLB The Show 22 right now. It's just launching into Game Pass. So I don't, I don't know. It's obviously... 
it's a different experience for every developer, every publisher, and you got to be able to understand your market and read that and understand what kind of product you have and what kind of market you're releasing that product into and be able to weigh weigh the options, read the tea leaves, and figure out what the best solution is going to be. I feel like this is going to continue to be more and more of a challenge for developers and publishers and more and more of just a big perk for consumers. Um, but ultimately, this could have lasting effects. So it's it's just it's just interesting to see how this continues to play out because people keep having the conversation, is is Game Pass good for developers? Is Game Pass bad for developers? It's like, it, it depends who you... It's different for everyone, man. And yeah, I don't know. This is just some, some interesting, interesting stuff. Again, it's new it's new territory for the for everyone involved in gaming so it's going to be a lot of testing trial and error and and seeing how the market learns and adapts and in response to these kinds of moves but just thought it'd be an interesting little juxtaposition to present at the top of the show now next up here's our activision update of the week again i'm so fucking tired of talking about this activision stuff that i'm basically just going to read to you real quick what the updates are in a bridge version of the updates we're not really going to dwell on them. We're just going to move on after that. But this week in the ongoing Blizzard Activision lawsuit, Activision appointed Kristen Hines as their new Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. Hines, who will report to Chief People Chief People Officer Julie Hodges, will join the company and its senior leadership team this Monday, April 25th, so in like two weeks or whatever. She will play a leading role in delivering the Activision Blizzard com- on delivering on Activision Blizzard's commitment to grow a number of women and non-binary people in its workforce by 50% over the next five years. Activision Blizzard said Heinz will also work with the uh, in all its gaming teams to ensure diversity and inclusive perspectives are included in game design, including storylines, character development, gameplay, and community interaction. So that was the first big update, a rather, you know, positive one. Good. You know, it's always good to see more diversity and more inclusion and more, uh, you know, regardless of how you feel about in- diversity and inclusion, whether you feel like these kinds of moves are forced or a-, a necessary kind of kick in the butt, there's no denying that this is a well-intended move that probably serves to benefit in the long run. So whatever, this is good, good, good for them. Here's the second part that's not as fun. <laughs> so the-, the good news, now we get the bad news. Developers unionizing at Call of Duty Warzone Studio Raven Software, as we've been learning about for the past few months, uh, who've been trying to unionize, will be excluded from an upcoming pay raise for Activision Blizzard's quality assurance wor- for quality assurance workers, QA workers. On this past or this past week, the publisher announced that all its U.S.-based QA tester jobs uh, will be converted to full-time employees beginning this July. Employees will also receive a wage increase of a minimum of twenty dollars an hour. However, this won't apply to QA testers at Raven, who've been fighting for improved working conditions at the company since the last year. This is due to, quote, legal obligations under the National Labor Restriction Relations Act, an Activision Blizzard spokesperson said to Bloomberg. And as spotted by PC Gamer, the National Labor Relations Act doesn't allow employees to, quote, confer benefits on employees during a union organizing campaign to induce employees to vote against the union. The group of Raven employees seeking to unionize, which calls itself the Game Workers Alliance, said, it was thrilled with the news this past week, but but called the decision to exclude being included from the upcoming benefits as an attempt to divide workers and undermine the right to unionize. So obviously, I am not versed well enough in all the laws and the ways in which these kinds of managers work to know whether or not that is legitimate or complete little bullshit, this whole inability for a company to offer benefits or added benefits to a group of employees trying to unionize during during a unionization campaign. Um, or if that's just a convenient load of bullshit that they can get away with because most people don't know anything in law and big companies can get away with that and use it as an excuse for the really shitty thing they're doing. So more or less, if you work for Activ- or for um, if you work for Raven and you're part of the team trying to unionize, 
uh, within Activision, you get excluded from all these new benefits and pay raises while everyone else gets included in it. And obviously, we could easily read that and say, well, that is an intention. That is an, that is an intentional move, an attempt to try and drive a wedge between people wishing to unionize and people who are, aren't going against the grain. That way you can kind of encourage people to not try to fight the big power and not try to unionize and just kind of uh, stick with the status quo because, hey, at least you're getting a little more money, so I guess everything's okay, right? I'm not versed enough to speak to that, but those are the updates this week in the Activision Blizzard lawsuit. All hell is breaking loose, and um, I don't know. If you work at Activision, why? All right, that's all like the the sad, bad news, but here's uh, this next this next one's a quick little interesting piece about Epic and Lego. So think Fortnite and Lego. Uh, Gamesindustry.biz relay that Epic Games has raised two billion dollars in funding around. The funds came from existing investors along with Sony Group Corporation and Kirkby, which I've never heard referred to, but that is the investment company behind the Lego group. Uh, they each contributed a billion dollars. The investment goes towards advancing the company's Epic's vision uh, to build the metaverse and support its continued growth um, Epic said in the announcement, CEO Tim Sweeney of Epic uh, even said in the announcement that the investment will accelerate the work to build the metaverse and create spaces where players can have fun with friends, brands, and build creative and immersive experiences, and creators can build community and thrive. So, of course, this actually, I, I guess this seems kind of fitting, right? Because twofold, let's leave Sony out of it because that's, that's the harder one to nail down. But Epic, you think about Fortnite, it already is basically its own metaverse in a way because we you know, we see people talking about metaverse all the time. Metaverse is basically fancy talk for an online social space where people can gather and hang out, which is basically what Second Life, MySpace, RuneScape, fucking uh, Maple Story, VR Chat, and uh, what PlayStation Home, and all these things have been for many, many, many years before Facebook and Microsoft started talking metaverse talk. So when you think about it in a way, Fortnite being such a social and fun kind of battle royale game where it's not always necessarily about playing competitive. Sometimes it's just about goofing off within the Fortnite world, trying to invest in that community and build it out as a quote unquote metaverse kind of, uh, it's own metaverse. It makes sense if you're Epic. And I think partnering with someone like Lego makes a lot of sense as well, because if you're a Lego group, you're probably looking over at Microsoft and Minecraft and you're going, damn, that should have been us. And that's, I feel like that's something people don't bring up often enough, which is just like, Dude, Minecraft has been around since, what did it release in beta? It was like 08 or 09? I think it was 09. But like, if you're Lego and you've just seen Minecraft become this behemoth of a property that's become, and then on top of that, been able to s sustain that that massive amount of might and power and command that it has over its massive audience, you got to be kicking yourself in the ass every day saying, Minecraft should have been Lego. And don't get me wrong, Lego games do fantastic. We're seeing how great this new Lego Star Wars game is doing, but none of that holds a candle to the influence and the engagement and the commitment that the audience that exists has to Minecraft. And so getting with the other biggest game in the world, which is Fortnite and trying to, you know, invest in that and attach your Lego, at least your Lego investor dollars, if not your Lego brand proper into Fortnite in some way, shape or form um, is kind of the next best thing, right? It's probably the smartest thing you can do at that point. So all of that makes sense to me. Uh, the only way I can see Sony fitting into all this is obviously we want to see Sony has been talking more and more about trying to get into multiplayer space and more into social spaces, which is why they're doing things like buying Bungie and buying all these new studios that are supposed to make multiplayer games. And on top of that, Sony's actually been buying very small portions of Epic over the past few years. I think they own like one or 2% of the company. 
And so, you know, it, it's a lot of money, but it's not a big percentage of the company. Sony, Sony is a part of Epic, and they do have some financial investment in that. So it, it doesn't all too much surprise me to see them try to get in on that, especially, especially when you consider that PlayStation really tries to get into VR. So maybe there's an angle where, you know, they, they want there to be some, if the metaverse ends up being, you know, this uh, amazing VR alternate Ready Player One reality that Facebook wishes it was. You know, maybe just maybe something between Fortnite and PlayStation VR could be in harmony. So it all makes sense when you think about it, but nonetheless, an interesting connection, especially the Lego and Epic stuff. Now, another, this is an interesting piece of data I saw floating around Twitter and then Video Games Chronicle, of course, our boys over at VGC. They uh, they posted a story about it. So I thought we'd talk about this. Some really interesting, just kind of user engagement data surrounding big video game related news stories thus far in the year. Just to kind of, to shine a spotlight on how niche the games, you know, community is and, and the games industry is and game enthusiasts and stuff like how that's just a small piece of the puzzle when you think about gaming and, and, and entertainment digital entertainment as a whole but um so let me, let me just read this new figures released by twitter show that sony's acquisition of bungie generated more discussion than microsoft's acquisition of activision blizzard on its platform so on twitter over the past few months people tweeting and talking about bungie and sony garnered more attention in tweets and engagement than Microsoft buying all of Activision Blizzard. Twitter's global head creator gaming content partnership, Risha Chada, tweeted internally that Twitter had data to show uh, when the frequency of tweets about video games spiked throughout the past few months. And although it provided, although that information provided doesn't give exact figures, it shows what were clear discussion peaks between January 1st and March 31st. These were, of course, the days Microsoft announced it was acquiring Activision Blizzard, Sony, or sorry, Activision Blizzard, and Sony announced it was acquiring Bungie, or rather, those dates fall within that time range. Also, what falls in that time range is Elden Ring was released, and Fortnite had a new season start, season three, or whatever the hell. Uh, Twitter's data shows that the release of Elden Ring generated the most discussion by far on the platform of any video game related news story thus far in the year. And obviously, that's because, you know, millions and millions of people bought and played the game and went crazy over it. The second most discussed topic was actually Sony's acquisition of Bungie. And then in third place was Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard, which just slightly beat out the amount of buzz surrounding the latest chapter in Fortnite. So I just want to stop for a second and talk about how impressive that is, because from from the perspective of people like us, you know, people who talk about and follow the games industry on a more granular, in-depth level, because we're quote-unquote hardcore gamers and we're really invested in the industry and we just find it interesting to see who all the names and the faces and the companies behind our favorite games and brands are and what the behind the scenes inner workings is like you know we're all pretty educated so to speak um in terms of just kind of knowing generally how the games industry works and or what big things are going on behind the scenes. Whereas, you know, you think about your general gamer, your general person who partakes in the act of playing video games, they don't need to know any of that shit, you know? It's like, I buy Call of Duty, I play Destiny, I play Fortnite. Like, you don't need to know Epic is Fortnite and Activision is Call of Duty. Of course, you probably see these names and these brands on splash screens and subliminal messaging kind of ingrains in your brain. And so you're aware of these things to some extent, but for the most part, People know on a more intimate level their specific brands. They know their Fortnite, their their Elden Ring, their Call of Duty, their whatever you know, um, their their Destiny, which is the more important big brand that consumers are attached to. So when you think about this, it's like okay, Elden Ring generated the most buzz. Well, that's fair, right? Because what are players going to be most excited about in the realm of video games more than 
a new, exciting, fun video game that everyone likes and is talking about. So you can kind of see a world in which it's like, I guess outside the games media world and the games enthusiast world where we're all mind blown that Microsoft bought Activision, we can see how that matters because at the end of the day, it's like big company buys other big company. It's like, hey, whatever to most people. You know, maybe if you're in the know, you're like, well, holy shit, that's huge. But to most people, it's like, don't know, don't care. But if you're someone who owns an Xbox or a PlayStation, you just want to have a good time with your consoles, you know, it's like Elden Ring. Oh, what's this cool new game everyone thinks is so great? And that's just kind of how that really works in the real world when you get outside the little echo chamber and the little microcosm of the fan communities and the Xbox versus ponies and all that bullshit. And so, I don't know, it's crazy to see. Especially, I think, obviously, the most interesting thing here is that the Sony acquisition of Bungie garnered more engagement and talk than Microsoft and Activision. And the only thing I can think of with this is just that obviously Bungie is a name that is so intrinsically tied behind Destiny, just one game. It's like you say Bungie and everyone thinks, you know, or they think Halo maybe, but they think Destiny, right? Because it's like that's what they do is they're the guys that make this one thing. But you think like Activision, it's like, oh yeah, Activision, that's... No, maybe a lot of people know, oh, those, those are the Call of Duty guys, but they're hardcore Call of Duty fans, people who buy and play Call of Duty every fucking year, and even some of those people could not tell you, like, I, my, I have a friend who buys Call of Duty almost every single year, as long as I've known this guy, he's bought 9 out of 10, you know, every 10, for every 10 Call of Duty games that come out, he buys probably 8 or 9 of them, he's like that into buying a Call of Duty every year. But when I talk to this friend, he's a very casual gamer for the most part, he doesn't know the difference between Treyarch and Raven and Infinity Ward and Sledgehammer and all these teams. He doesn't know any of those. That all makes that, that makes no sense to him. He buys almost every Call of Duty, plays almost every COD every year, and doesn't know any of that shit. He just knows Activision and Call of Duty. And so I think, obviously, to a lot of people, it's just like, Microsoft, Activision, doesn't sound as like compelling as like, Xbox and Halo, Xbox and Bungie, Sony and Bungie. And and on top of that, obviously, PlayStation is just a brand. Sony and PlayStation is just a brand that pulls a lot more interest and engagement than something like Microsoft or Xbox in the games industry. So there's that as well. It's just a bigger platform. It is what it is. And uh, I don't know. I just think that's crazy because obviously, if we're going to look at the actual level of importance, like, like, Activision Blizzard being acquired by Microsoft is the biggest, and this isn't this isn't hyperbole at all. It is undoubtedly the biggest story in video game news, easily to happen within the past decade. No, no, like no contest. Probably the past 15, 20 years, even. Like I like without a doubt, this is the number one biggest story. But again, like to people who aren't, you know, all that concerned with the 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 industry and all the latest news, it's like. Yeah, who gives a shit, man? It's like the, the the Destiny guys are bought by the PlayStation guys. That's all they need to know. I don't know. I think that's just crazy. That speaks a lot to the brand identity and just where the player's focus and attention really is, you know? Maybe the headline was Xbox buys Call of Duty. I don't know. Maybe that would have garnered more buzz. But it's crazy. It's just crazy to think about. Some, something to chew on, guys. But hey, so those are the interesting stories I want to talk about at the top of the show. Interesting bits of news. Guys, we have a full-fledged show to get into this, this week. We got... The What I've Been Eating spoiler. We got some hard Mountain Dew takes for you. Uh, we got some comments. We got a whole regular run of news. So, so let's step back from all the nitty-gritty Xbox talk and get into the hardcore, cool, elite gamer comments, which you know how they work. You go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode, and you can leave me a comment. You can say something real nice like, Jesse, happy to see that Sonic movie 2 was really good. Glad you enjoyed it. 
Really happy for you and all the freaky Sonic fans out there right now. This is a really good moment for you. It's a really exciting moment. I want you to take this, enjoy it, because it's a fleeting moment. It won't be around forever. And just, uh, you know, really, really make the most of this really exciting time to be a Sonic fan. And I'll say, wow, that's really kind of you. Thank you for respecting me and my people in our time of need. Normally we are a very a very misunderstood and mistreated group of people being hedgehogs. Uh, hedgehog fan lords, you know, a lot of people think, are they furries? No, we're not furries. And they think, are they, you know, like dumbasses? And no, that's not, that's not the case. We just understand that Sonic Unleashed is a far superior game than Elden Ring. That's all there is to it. But I appreciate the kind comment. But you could also be a total dickhead. You could write in. You can say, Jesse, I noticed that your PC likes to overheat when you're streaming on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I hope your computer continues to crash because you're a piece of shit and your stream sucks. And also, I want to let you know uh, my favorite donut is actually a gluten-free vegan donut because I hate everything pure in this world and I want you to suffer. And I'll be like, I don't even, I don't even know why you're telling me about your donut preferences and how do you know about my PC overheating? This is really uncomfortable. And uh, we'll still read it on the comment because let's be quite honest, I'm desperate for clicks, I'm desperate for attention, and that uh, that comment should pull some some engagement, no doubt. Unfortunately, we didn't get any comments like that this week, but we did get a handful of comments from you kind listeners. First of all, Compassionate Choice LLC wrote in and says, Hey Jesse, just want to say we appreciate you being diligent and always releasing new episodes. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Compassionate Choice. Appreciate the support as always. Have a great week and take care, man. Corey Long continues on our conversation from last week about bad games or guilty pleasure games. These are games that maybe a lot of the world pans as not good game to play, but you know personally that it is a good game because for the most part, every every game is a good game. You know, they're, 99.9% of games are made with the intention of people playing and enjoying this game and it being a fun experience. So not every game, unfortunately, gets all the time and resources and, and the vision, the correct combination of leadership and teams to make, you know, every experience like Super Mario Galaxy or Halo 3 tier game. But there are plenty of games out there that are objectively flawed and maybe critically not, you know, more than a 5 or 6 out of 10. But you play it and you're able to see through the faults and admire the beauty and what is good about the game. So we've been talking about that a little bit. Love the conversation because that's one of my absolute favorite things to defend in all of gaming. So Corey continues on with the conversation and says, New World is absolutely not a great, amazing, fully-fledged game by any means, but I'm having a blast. It's what you do with what you're provided. The graphics are also quite gorgeous. And also, I don't even finish the end of my drinks this is referring to the whole backwash conversation because I know like 35 to 40% is probably my spit. It's literally an issue when I try to clean up my home or take empties out of the cup holder. They are not empty. Corey, this is twofold. First of all, thank you. Thank you so much for defending the it's impossible not to backwash stance because I'm so tired of people trying to deny science. So thank you for validating me and letting me know I'm not crazy in that regard. But also, this is what I'm talking about. It's cool. And again, I'll say, as I said last week, I, I, I thought New World was popular. I really didn't know that people had issues with it. I just remember it came out and it was like really big for a couple of days and then everyone kind of shut up about it. But that's uh, that's I think that's exactly right. That's sentiment. It's 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 not it's not, you know, you can acknowledge that a game is is full of flaws and full of issues, but it's what you it's what you see in the game and what you make of it, despite its flaws, that makes it great, you know. 
I've been saying on this podcast for almost 150 weeks straight how much I love Sonic Unleashed, and I understand the daytime levels are way better than the nighttime levels. The Werehog stages drag on for way longer than the daytime stages. I get it. Some of the combat takes way too long. is a little too slow. Sometimes you go too long without getting a checkpoint, or you're not provided enough lives, or the collectathon nature of the sun and moon medals is annoying in between hub worlds. I get all of that. I'm not saying those aren't issues. I get that the frame rate turns to shit. Later on in the game, I understand the Eggman Land level is an hour long. For no fucking reason, they should have just split up into three or four levels. I get all that. Those are valid criticisms. If you want to tell me the game is a mediocre or just okay out of ten, I will say that is a really defensible stance to take. But the art style is so gorgeous. The graphics and the art style are still the best of any Sonic game to date. The acting is great. The story is so good for a Sonic game. It just toes that line perfectly of being lighthearted and fun and good for everyone, just like a Pixar movie, while also having just a little bit of heft and weight to it without it teetering on the edgy anime side that Sonic gets into sometimes with shit like Shadow the Hedgehog or Sonic 06 or Sonic X the TV show so it avoids that mistake Chip is a great cute little character I love him so much I wish they'd bring him back in a future game the music in that game is so fucking god tier everything composed for that game oh my god Mr. Otani wrote the best score for any video game ever fuck you if you disagree Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup shout out to him wrote the theme endless possibility for the game one of the great songs of all time such a fucking contagious pop punk jam for my boy Sonic the Hedgehog. Amazing game. That game will forever be such an amazing game to me despite its flaws. Anybody else got anything to say on that? Well, I guess Mr. Miggy does because he jumps in and says, I miss joining the Twitch streams live. Mr. Miggy, easy solution. Quit your day job, bail on your family, drop out of life, Watch my Twitch streams every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. As for my favorite bad game, it's hard to say because some of the games people consider bad, they learn to love as time passes, like examples of Assassin's Creed Unity and Batman Arkham Knight. People were upset about the poor performance. I end up playing the games with no problems and end up loving them. Then years later, people end up loving them too. Mr. Mickey, those are those are good examples because you are right. People, especially Assassin's Creed Unity, people gave that game so much shit just because it was there was like one bug that one person experienced, and then that picture blew up on the internet, and everyone just wrote the game off as completely fucked and broken, and then it just kind of got away from itself. But like games like Arkham Arkham Knight, especially, it's like. Well, those are games that, like, I feel like people agree that's a good game, but it's significantly worse than the games in the series that came before it. Or, like, it's a really good game, but there's just one thing that kind of drags the whole experience down. Where, like, people like the Batman Arkham games a lot, but the complaint with Arkham Knight is that you're spending too much time in the Batmobile. Whatever. But you're right. You're right. It is that kind of thing where it's, like, the game launched with, like, a couple little bugs, and then, you know, at their time, they patched it out. So if you played the game four years later when people weren't bitching about the graphics or the bugs, and when the bugs were all patched out, all you ever experienced was a really good game, and you're like, why the fuck do people hate this? Or you think about Batman Arkham Knight, where you're years past it, where everyone's not bitching and moaning about the Batmobile, and you play, and you're like, this is a great, fun Batman game. Why is everybody hating on this? That That is another thing that happens, and honestly, sometimes that's why the best thing you can do is just not even buy into a game when it first comes out. Don't pre-order. Just don't. Just just wait to see kind of what the reception is, and then play the game when you're ready. Like for me, that's Dying Light Two. I didn't buy Dying Light Two when it came out. I wanted to, but I didn't. The game has a lot of bugs, as people say. And I'm like, you know what I'll do? I'll just wait a year. I'll buy it on sale for like 20, 30 bucks. All the bugs and quirks will be worked out of it. It'll be a really fully functioning, high performing game. I'll have a really good time with it, and we'll all we'll also be six or twelve months removed from everyone shitting on it by that point. So I'll just be able to enjoy it by my own standards and not have to deal with all that crap. Opening up Twitter, being like, "Oh, I had a great time on 
Dying Light 2 last night, but everyone on my Twitter feed is just shitting on the game because there's a one bug where someone's like face clips for a second or something like that. You know, that's a very good thing worth bringing up as well. I fucking hate that dude. That that's that's one of those like internet things where it's like something mildly inconvenient or silly happens in a video game, and everyone in the world is like, oh man, and they take like a long drag of their vape pen and they're like, heard that game was shit, man, because like the game's broken or something. It's like, okay, did you play the game or did you watch Mr. 7 billion subscribers on YouTube shit on the game because it got a lot of SEO and a lot of clicks? And it's like, well, you know, bubblegum, Fruit Loop flavor blowing out of his mouth. Uh, I didn't actually play the game, but I heard it's a fucking load of shit. Anyway, I'm going to go play some fucking FIFA or whatever the fuck. I don't know what people play. <laughs> what, what do people play on the game? <laughs> whatever. Strictly Gaming writes and says, Hi, Jesse. My favorite bad game has got to be FIFA. I think that's why I said FIFA is because I'm reading your comment as I'm talking. <laughs> my favorite bad game has got to be FIFA. Most broken game year in, year out. Same game on top of game before. But still, I buy it every year for some strange reason. But I'm the same as you. I still haven't caved in and bought Elden Ring yet. Uh, Strictly Gaming, this is another good... I, I appreciate these comments because you guys are uh, covering a wide spectrum. I feel like my example is Sonic Unleashed. Is very much like in line with with Corey's example of like this is a game people shit on, but I love it anyway. But you guys are bring you and Mr. Mickey are bringing up games that are like really high selling games, really highly successful games, really beloved games that just have like fall off moments. We're like obviously, dude, FIFA is one of the biggest games in the world. It's the best selling sports title year in year out. Obviously, massive game, especially outside the U.S. is just beyond a huge game. But you're right, the FIFA community and a lot of people have issues with that game because it's just like, well, they're just selling us the same game every fucking year, but every year they add a few more microtransactions or it's a little more broken because they had to rush it to market or it's just a little shittier than it was the last time. But again, it's it's one of those things, man. It's like to some people, it's like, hey, I I, don't know, I guess I guess the only thing in my experience I could get equated to would be like buying Call of Duty Vanguard this past year, where I'm like, I know I'm not gonna like this game nearly as much as like a Black Ops game or like an old Call of Duty game from ten years ago. But there's something fun about that, like, hey, the new COD is out, and hey, it's going to be a fun time. In the first month of multiplayer, everyone's gonna suck at the game, so I don't have to worry about getting completely like just wiped out on multiplayer and you know it's like it's it's exciting to be there for that and just kind of enjoy that that annualized event you know especially with annualized franchises like fifa or call of duty or madden because it's like yeah, it's like every year every october the, the halloween season comes into swing it's like oh cool haunted houses and falling leaves and jack-o'-lanterns and like spooky treats and theming it's fun or it's like every december oh it's christmas time you know mariah carey everywhere you fucking go and there's christmas trees and it's really pretty and families get together and eat turkey or some shit like that and it's like it's a thing with annualized games it's like oh it's november time for call it's september time for fifa it's october i don't really know what month these games come out in but you know it's like it's it's an event it's like an annualized tradition and maybe that's kind of some of the 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 trick for these publishers is to do these annualized franchises for that like addictive habitual purpose but there is something to it you know it's like it's not september or whatever month fifa comes out in if you aren't buying the latest fifa even if it is a little shittier than last year's but sometimes knowing that going into it is, is doesn't necessarily detract from the fun experience of like fuck it i love this game it's not going to be the best one ever, but it's going to be a good time regardless. So that that sounds kind of like rewarding bad behavior, and and I guess it is. But at the same time, it, I don't know, man. It's, you do what you want. It's your life. If you're having a good time, that's all that matters. And also, thank you for not caving in and buying Elden Ring. We got to stick together strictly gaming. Even though I've been working on an Elden Ring video for like seven fucking years, it feels like at this point. Still haven't played the game. Still haven't bought the game. We have to band together and stay strong.
And finally, on this topic, my brother Cronky writes in and says, my favorite quote-unquote bad game is Aliens Colonial Marines. It's dumb and campy, but so is the movie. The gameplay is solid, and you get challenges to do each mission that makes it fun and engaging. Plus, great co-op. Cronky, another good thing to point out here is this is kind of like what Mr. Miggy was saying. This is another one of those games where it's like, Everyone shit on it when it came out, and I feel like retroactively people have gone back and said, oh, Aliens Colonial Marines was actually not that bad. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm thinking of Aliens Isolation. Never mind, never mind. Colonial Marines is completely shit on. That's the one where, like, a year or two ago, someone found out that there's, like, one one fuck-up in the game's code that basically can be attributed to, like, a, an overwhelming majority of the game's performance and in, 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 um, stability issues or something like that. That's the one that was made by um by Gearbox and uh, published by Sega, right? That, sorry, I was I was totally thinking of a, of a different clone, Aliens game coming into it, but still, yeah, it's well, that's an even better example then because that game obviously had performance issues and was under polished and not necessarily fully ready for market, or at least as they say. But that doesn't mean you can't play through it and be like, yeah, but there's a lot of good underneath all that. You can see the making of a great game. I don't know. Man, we're getting a little long in the tooth on this topic, but. I do enjoy everyone writing in with their examples and their takes on that because clearly we all do have examples of games like that that resonate with us, which just means we need to furthermore is our duty as epic gamers to speak up for the uh, for the imperfect games that resonate with us and to defend them because, God damn it, not everything has to be a fucking masterpiece. God of War 2018, 10 out of 10, game of the year, made me cry like a man for the first time since my dog uh, got pregnant or some shit like that. Let's move on. Let's 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 uh, let's get away from the serious shit for a little bit. Let's talk about the ketchup menace. My nephew Zeke writes in and says, completely avoided my comment last week. I'm extremely disappointed and would be telling your mother about my experience. Zeke, you literally wrote in and said you love ketchup. You are trying to egg me on. You are trying to start me. I don't understand what you're expecting from me. You say you love ketchup. Good for you. I fucking hate ketchup. You know that. You're just trying to start a fight here on my podcast on my 149th episode. I think that's highly disrespectful. Zeke, if you if you, if you you comment in one more time about ketchup, if you allude to ketchup one more time, I will bend you over my lap and spank your ass. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit how incestuous it sounds. I will do it. All right. Let's talk about Xbox Live Gold. Trippy Hippie writes in, if gold goes away, I'm worried Microsoft will force people in the Game Pass to play online. This will not go over well for the people who have no interest in Game Pass and maybe uh, buy only a couple of games a year. Online absolutely needs to be free if they want to get rid of Xbox Live Gold and only having Game Pass as the only subscription service. Well, Trippy Hippie, first of all, thanks for writing in. It's good to see you again. But I, I think I think you're absolutely right, no doubt. And that and that's got to be the plan because we, we saw that whole... Uh, a thing a year a year ago where they tried to raise the price on gold, everyone freaked out, and then they immediately went back on it a few days later. And I, I think this is, I think that was an attempt to get everyone to jump on a game pass so they could make gold look like a bad offering by comparison, because they want to reduce the value and the appeal and the allure of gold altogether. Because I think the initial idea or the eventual idea is to get rid of gold. But th- then we also had that huge complaint for a long time, and rightfully so, where Xbox fans were championing. Why is it free to play a game like Warzone or Fortnite on PlayStation, even if you don't have PlayStation Plus? But on Xbox, you have to have an Xbox Live subscription to play those games, even though they're free-to-play games. 
And then eventually Microsoft walked it back and we're like, okay, you're right. We're going to have to do something about that. It's kind of a similar thing where I feel like if people would just remain vocal on it and the market continues to speak this way where more and more people just have Game Pass or don't have anything at all, eventually it's going to become a thing for Microsoft where it's like, we, we got to let this thing die, you know? They even went to the. They even went as far as last year, changing. Remember, they they don't even call it Xbox Live anymore. It's it's the Xbox Online Network or whatever the fuck they call it. It's a terrible name. Terrible name. Xbox Live is a cool name. I, I'm I'm almost sad that they try to get away from the uh, branding, but now it's just Gold is your online subscription service, and then of course Game Pass is Game Pass. So I, I think they're in the workings of slowly getting away from it, but they they know. They must know that you you can't do a thing where you you force your player base into requiring to have an online subscription service in order to do that. I think right now it's just while Game Pass is in this mode of growth and trying to gain as many subscribers as possible, and it's far far away from being a a rev or a a a, a revenue generating um, for them. I think that's kind of why they hold on to gold as a background kind of thing for now. But eventually, I, I can't imagine the plan is anything other than to get rid of it. And no, they would they wouldn't be able to charge you to force you into Game Pass if you want to play online games because that would just be that. I mean, can you imagine the backlash? All right, Cronky writes in referring to last week's story about Activision, Microsoft, and the U.S. Senate story. We won't get into this too much because again, politics and Activision and aren't we all tired? And says, okay, so the Activision Xbox story is forcing this to get minorly political. I'll keep it light though. Those senators can go. <laughs> and do very naughty things to their buttholes. There are so many bigger issues facing workers, but they but they are focused on this because video game related, so it'll get massive news in, in their names all sorry, it'll get their names all over the news. They can go bad word off trying to not get censored by YouTube. But yes, Microsoft has issues. Yes, Phil hypes a little too much, although that's for shareholders. Take that issue up with the way the econ- the economy functions. But Activision is worse than Microsoft. So what's the answer? Make those employees stay under Bobby permanently instead and change Microsoft to where things can get better. I, I Okay, Kronky, I get what you're saying. I get this. I And, and this is all fair feedback. Uh, obviously, the first part was there to really say that's just your commentary. That's, that's funny. Of course, of course, those politicians can go boom, boom their buttholes or whatever it is you're, you're insinuating. But yes, in terms of the Phil Spencer, Bobby Kodak thing, I, I get what you're saying. It's like, listen, in a way, how else was this going to get better? You know, Microsoft buying Activision, at the end of the day, it's going to be messy up front, but there was no clean way of getting out of this. And at the end of the day, what was the better solution to get, you know, Xbox or, or Activision and Blizzard employees into better leadership hands? But I kind of, I kind of, I, I don't know. I really just don't necessarily buy this because what we're seeing more than anything right now is all these stories surrounding Xbox where leadership is kind of poor and people aren't being listened to and taken care of. And shit's just kind of being run amok and project timelines are all over the place because nothing is being handled properly. And so I don't like the idea of the company behind that being the company to buy Activision Blizzard, the the big publisher that can't get its shit together because there's so much harassment and and accusations and, and, and history back there that's really mucking up everything for all the developers. I, I don't think that <laughs> this is necessarily a match made in heaven. And I don't think necessarily that Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard makes all this stuff just magically go away. I think, yes, it helps get Bobby out. Yes, it helps pave the way potentially for things to get better. But also, another way for these things to get better would be massive coverage, a massive new spotlight on Activision. You don't have to have one massive corporation buy out another in order to make things better. You can also just have 
come uh, outlets like Bloomberg continue to expose this story and to have developers continue to speak up and try to unionize and to continue to have major faces in the industry lash out, speak out about this, leave Activision, go work for other companies and 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 set the example and then make hit Activision where it really hurts. Now, I don't think for one second we could make a difference by getting consumers to do anything because in a weird, sick, twisted way, the way capitalism has actually gone throughout history is consumers basically have no control over any of this because they always say vote with your wallet or you make the decision, but ultimately it's just not the way. Convenience wins over over morality and humanity every fucking time. Otherwise, we wouldn't all be walking around preaching for rights for gay and trans people while tweeting from our iPhones made from slave labor in China. That just that just wouldn't be the case. It's we fight moralistic battles where it is convenient and and and, and doable for the average person, but ultimately it is up up to the organization itself to fight from within. And and I just think the only thing you can really do is expose the truth, you know? You're not going you're not going to get people to stop Activision by not buying Activision games. You're not going to, you're not going to magically make it better by having one big company buy on another big company, but you might help make a difference if news organizations expose the issue. If people from within the organization try to unionize or big figures quit and make it statement and try to get others to leave with them. If you hit them where it hurts from within like that, then maybe it speaks up and Activision has to do something because they're losing talent, because everyone thinks they're shit, because it's starting to affect them optically and in all these multiple ways that really do bother and affect the company. I don't know. Maybe that's a good way to do it because eventually that puts enough pressure on shareholders to be like, all right, Bobby, you got to get the fuck out of here. And that way it doesn't make Xbox look so fucking bad by being like, oh yeah, we're really against what Activision did. By the way, here's 69 billion fucking dollars. Um, you, you know, go, go threaten to kill someone else in retirement, Bobby. So I don't know. I just... I don't like that this makes Microsoft's hands a little dirty. And and yes, as it's such a tired conversation. I think at the end of the day, a lot of good could come from this, hypothetically, hopefully, we can assume. But it's not a given. And also, Twitch stuff and Activision stuff, rounding out our final comment of the week, Way of the Lyle writes in and says, Jesse, what the hell are you talking about? Change your name? Nah, bro. How are you going to mess with a name like Lightning Extreme? It's a classic. It's timeless. It sounds like a TikTok account that ha- <laughs> that should have 30 million followers. Also, I want to address the Activision Microsoft issue first. Do you feel that Microsoft is actually going to improve work culture from Activision and still have hands-off approach when it comes to making games? I personally think that Microsoft doesn't give a shit. Also, I think Activision's games haven't been doing as well as they have in the past. Take care, man, and I hope to see you on stream this Monday. Way of the Lao. First of all, Beautiful comment. Thank you for writing in. Second of all, probably should have read this in conjunction with Cronky's comment because it goes beautifully with it. But but no, that's exactly it. I just I I just feel like this is another example of Microsoft kind of saying one thing and also saying another at the same exact time. It's like, how are you going to fix the cultural issues of Activision Blizzard when the way you've operated your own studios is you've had a very hands-off, we don't get involved approach? Obviously. When they're talking about a hands-off approach, they're saying, we don't micromanage the creative process. We let our developers make the games what they want to make. They're not saying, we let our developers figure out their own sexual harassment issues. That's not our problem. Obviously, I know that's what Phil Spencer means when he talks about the hands-off approach. But, again, we're seeing the report from Kotaku about Undead Labs, which, you know, they try to slant it all about sexism and bigotry. But, 
at the very least, what we can read from that story is that story is that that studio is just meandering about and being kind of poorly managed. What we see from the whole thing going on with the initiative, same thing. What we see with Halo and the fact that it was made predominantly by contract workers, and now they have no post-launch support because they just have this small core team and all this de- pent-up demand for more content, and they can't get a fucking roadmap together over at 343. Again, it's just poor management. So again, when Microsoft is proving over and over and over again, we can't properly manage our own teams why am I supposed to just suddenly feel better about the fact that they're going to now take on a million additional teams from Activision Blizzard and then somehow properly manage and maintain all of those as well? I don't know. It's kind of weird, I guess, in in to play devil's advocate to myself, it's kind of weird to conflate properly managing studios in terms of game development with properly manage, managing studios in terms of just human treatment and, and, and human resources departments and things like that. But, but nonetheless, in, in a sense, they are one and the same right because it all comes down to how you manage your studio so i, I don't know whatever i'm guys i'm sorry I, I i appreciate the comments but i'm also really weary or or not weary but i am self-conscious about talking about these topics too much because i feel like there's a large part of the audience just like oh my god shut up no one cares about activision tell us about tell us about the new 8-bit games coming to xbox this week that no one's going to download please for the love of christ so with that said let's get away from this this hot button topic Wade Lau, thank you for writing in. Cronky, Trippy Hippie, Zeke, Strictly Gaming, Mr. Mickey, Corey, and Compassion Choice. Thank you all so much. Remember, for next week, you could be like one of the cool-ass gamers above who just commented in if all you did was write in. So don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing this week. But guys, before I tell you about what I've been playing, and you're not going to believe this, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. I know. Never heard that before. Shut the fuck up. Guys, finally it's happened. Hard Mountain Dew. I'm here to tell you all about it. Now, I know for a lot of you, it's like, that's not fucking fair. Hard Mountain Dew only launched in like three states within the U.S. Barely anyone's had access to it. If I got to deal with living in Florida, then you got to deal with the fact that one of my very few perks is I get access to Hard Mountain Dew before anyone else. Suck it, losers. That's right. I'm talking to you Montanians listening here. So Hard Mountain Dew finally got my hands on some. I went to Target. I said, this is happening. I picked up a case. And like any hard seltzer drink, they're doing the cute little thing where they're just like, oh, I noticed you like this one flavor, but fuck you. The only way to purchase this beverage is to buy the variety pack. So that's fine for a first go around because obviously I want to try all the flavors, but now that I've had them all, I really wish there was a way to just buy specific flavors. And so let me, let me, let me go ahead and rank them for you. So it comes with four flavors, right? There's classic Mountain Dew. There's not Code Red, but Dark Cherry. So it looks like a Code Red alternative, but it's not a Code Red drink. It is a Dark Cherry. I don't know why they do that. Every every hard seltzer does that. They had to have Dark Cherry or some shit like that. It's White Claw. Bud Light Seltzer, whatever. They all do the same shit. The third one is Baja Blast. So hell yeah, Baja Blast Hard Seltzer. And then the fourth one, again, not Major Melon. It's Watermelon. So whatever. You know, basically just Mountain Dew Major Melon. But so they call it Watermelon. So you got regular green, red, uh, whatever color you want to call, greenish blue you want to call Baja Blast, and then pink for Watermelon. And so they're all a a nod or an allusion to a a pre-existing Mountain Dew flavor. But that being said, not all these flavors are great because if we're talking about the real Mountain Dew co- counterparts, of course, Classic Dew is fantastic, Code Red is fantastic, Baja Blast is very good, and Major Melon kind of sucks, but whatever, I'm glad people like it. In the world of hard Mountain Dew, the ranking is very different, and the preferences are very different. So I've officially had one of each flavor now, and I'm here to say the regular Mountain Dew flavor, the Classic Mountain Dew hard seltzer, absolutely sucks donkey dick. It is disgusting. It is so gross. Do not drink it. Holy hell, run. 
It is so bad. That being said, the other three flavors are actually good. The hard cherry is good. I, I like it more than any of the other hard seltzer brands, hard cherry. But again, unfortunately, it doesn't taste like a riff off of Code Red, which I wish it were. Uh, it tastes like a hard cherry seltzer. So it is good. It, it, it's above average for what it is in its class of beverage. But um, it's, it's much better than the classic flavor. Then the Baja Blast is actually the best of all of them. I would say the Baja Blast is very good. It tastes exactly like zero sugar Baja Blast from, from Taco Bell but with like an aftertaste of like alcoholic whatever slight hint because it's an alcoholic drink of course. Um and then the fi- finally I hate Major Melon. I don't like the watermelon Mountain Dew. I think it's very weak. It's one of those like Fanta with a Mountain Dew label kind of drinks. But um being honest, the watermelon one, it, it kind of works for a hard seltzer. It's not my favorite, you know. If it were available in individual packs, I wouldn't go out of my way to buy it, but having it in the variety pack, I'll, I'll drink it. It's good. I- I'm okay with it. So with that said, here's the official ranking. The number one best flavor that comes in the box is Baja Blast. That's by far the best one. The number two is the Hard Cherry one, um, the basically the Code Red replacement. The number three is the Watermelon Choice. And then uh, for number four, I put Drowning Yourself in fucking Acetone in Piss. And then uh, and then after that, we put the classic Mountain Dew flavor. That's that's the last best flavor included in the box. So guys, there's your little mini review on the Hard Mountain Dew now. Fret not, especially for those of you living in the U.S., this product will continue to roll out across the country in the coming months, so you pr- you will probably get a chance to try it if you're still curious, but you know, that's one of, the, one of the perks of being a Florida man and an elite Xbox podcasters. I get early access to these kinds of things. Guys, don't forget to subscribe to my Patreon if you want to see more additional Mountain Dew content. Uh, like and leave a comment in the description below or whatever the fuck. Guys, so that's Hard Mountain Dew. All in all, I don't think it's something I would buy again. Like, I'm, I'm glad I tried it. It's just a one-and-done kind of novelty for me. And that's more or less what I was expecting was that it would just be a novelty. But, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big drinker to begin with. I really don't ever buy alcohol. And if I do, it's like liquor, not beer or seltzer. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I miss, I, I'm more like the I'll keep a single bottle of bourbon in the house and slowly drink that over the course of, like, six to ten months. So like that, like that's how little I drink, but hard Mountain Dew. Glad I tried it as a Mountain Dew fan. I think it is not one of the worst things Mountain Dew's done in recent history because Mountain Dew has definitely been going downhill. But if you are an enthusiast of the Dew and you like to consume alcohol or you're even remotely interested in hard seltzers like, like White Claw and things like that, I know, I, I don't know. There's other brands that are big, but for some reason, White Claw is the only one I can ever name. I know those are really popular drink right now. They've been very big the past few years. Definitely worth a try. I think you know seventeen dollars is how much the variety pack costs. It comes with like I think it, I think it comes with like sixteen cans or twenty cans or something. It's it's worth a one time try. It's it's fun. But guys, with that out of the way, we can now move on to the what I've been playing. So I have been playing quite a bit actually uh, this past week, but unfortunately, I'm still in a little bit of that rut where I can't find a single game and just commit to it. I'm still kind of just sampling across the industry. Um, so playing a lot of Halo, I'm trying to finish out again. I'm trying to finish that that battle pass for season one before season two starts because I feel really a lot of FOMO about how everyone finished their battle pass except me. So I'm 92 on the battle pass. I'm almost done with it. We'll have it done the next week or so. Don't you worry, you sweet little asshole, about that. But you know what? What is there to say about Halo other than what we're going to get into in the news? So we'll talk about that later. Um, not really anything to say there. Tron Evolution, I, I finished it. I rolled credits on it. You can still go online and have like a private lobby and use it to unlock the multiplayer achievements, which is awesome. So I did a couple of those as well. I, I like that game, man. I, I gotta say, now that I've beaten it, it's just another one of those examples of like 
I really, really miss these licensed movie tying games from this era where it was like, oh, the movie comes out this date. We got to have a video game to launch alongside with it. I really miss this shit. I really wish we could still, especially now that I'm like more into Disney as an adult than I ever was as a kid. I really wish I could have this beautiful harmony of like a new Pixar movie or a new Disney movie is coming out. So it's like, okay, the day it comes out, I go to the theater, I watch the movie. Then I go home and I can play the, the tying video game on my Xbox that just came out developed by avalanche software if we're lucky and then that weekend i can pop into magic kingdom or one of the disney parks and you know see whatever kind of little special in park event they're doing in celebration of the new movie it'd be the perfect little trifecta i adult jesse would love that so much you know like new toy story movie comes out cool go see the new toy story movie go home play the new toy story video game and then go to magic kingdom and try the new fucking i don't know toy story woody's leather shoe flavored churro or whatever fucking special little in-park event or treat they would have to celebrate the new movie. I would love that so much, but unfortunately, we don't live in that world anymore. We live in the world of, oh, we have a new movie. Subscribe to Disney Plus and then go download the free-to-play Disney World World Builders Not Made in China TM app where it's a free-to-play game where we constantly ask you to either wait four hours, watch an ad, or buy more uh, Ultron credits to continue to play your Disney fantasy game and even when you're playing the game, you're like, wow, this gameplay fucking sucks. This game sucks. Can I get, can I get a fucking actual game? And then they're like, okay, how about Kingdom Hearts 4? And you're like, no, not like that. And that, and that and that's just the sad reality of being a Disney fan. So Tron Evolution, everyone. Um, aside from that, obviously Sonic Movie just came out this past weekend. So I've been really in a Sonic mood, really enjoying that. Really loved the movie. So I'm playing some Sonic. We, we streamed it all Monday night. Um, in my free time, I've been playing a little bit of Sonic Colors, a little bit of Sonic Generations, a little bit of Sonic Adventure. So been enjoying some Sonic. And then finally, this is <laughs> this is the big one. This is the sexy one. I'm playing, and I have a reason. Don't fucking click off just yet. I'm playing Fast and Furious Crossroads. So like I said, hold on for a second. As you'll remember, last week in the news, we talked about how Fast and Furious Crossroads, which only came out two years ago, is being delisted at the end of April. It will be taken off the stores, off digital storefronts. You cannot buy it anymore. It is over. If you buy it, if you already own it, you can re-download it. That's about it. Or you can go buy it physical. But like the game is over after this. So I was like, you know what? If they put it on like a dirt cheap sale, I'll buy it. The game was still forty fucking dollars. But then a few days ago, Xbox started a big spring sale, and the game was included in that sale for fifteen dollars. I was like, you know what? For fifteen dollars, as someone who used to be a really big Fast and Furious fan until the past few movies started really sucking. I, I, you know, whatever. I owe it to myself to just check this out. You know, out of curiosity, out of uh, a desire to preserve this game that's going to fall into obscurity now that's being delisted. Let's see what this game is all about. I got to be honest. Yes, it is cringy as fuck. The writing is god awful. The acting is god awful. It is very, very budgety. It's very licensed movie kind of game, which I guess is what I've been asking for. It's not a specific tie into any of the specific movies, but it takes place in the movie universe. I, I actually like this game. It's made by one of the teams. I haven't played too much of it, but it's made by one of the teams, one of the Codemaster developers. So that should actually tell you something. Codemasters, one of the most respected developers in the racing scene, uh, recently purchased by EA, actually. This is one of the last projects they worked on before being purchased by EA. And uh, so it has some racing game development competency under it, which is the saving grace of this game. The driving feels... Weight-wise, it's a little poorly distributed, but it's very arcadey, it's very fun, it's very easy to just pick up and understand, which I, I enjoy, especially for something like Fast and Furious. And I, I don't know, man, with the 45 minutes I spent with it, I feel like it's it's kind of fun. There's racing, and there's like combat racing where you're like smashing into enemies and run them off-road and use ridiculous boosts and use like 
grapple hooks to latch onto enemy vehicles and like pull them off the road and stupid stuff like that. And the the gameplay is it's fun. The character models and the car models and the environmental models aren't bad, but the lighting and, and the animation is pretty rough. Like I said, the writing and the voice acting is just so painfully bad. But it's all in all, like I I feel like for a really shitty budget licensed movie game that no one cares about, I feel like it's actually a little better than it could have been. And uh, I I mean I don't expect much. It's not great. I'm not telling you to go out and buy it or anything. But you know, for a little four hour campaign. A little shitty licensed movie game. I'm enjoying my time with it. I love arcade racer games. I love Need for Speed and Burnout and shit like that. And this is this is like a like kind of what we were talking about at the top of the show. It's a it's a bad but fun kind of guilty pleasure little weekend indulgence for me. I'll play this game for four to six hours, beat it, maybe do a little bit of extras, unlock a couple of achievements, and then never play it again. But I I don't you know for fifteen dollars I I don't regret it. I'm glad I downloaded it. I'm glad I'm checking it out. And part of me is a little sad that it's going away. So I don't know. That's I, I, I can't be ashamed. Listen, yes, I'm playing Fast and Furious Crossroads. You know, shun me if you will. But hey, you're playing Elden Ring, you fucking nerd, elf nerd. So that's what I've been playing, guys. With that all said and done, let's uh, transition into the main segment of the news. Let's go into or the main segment of the podcast. Let's get into this week's news. Whoa, 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 you may have caught it. Astute ears and eyes will have caught just moments ago. I name-dropped a Mr. A little little number by the name of Kingdom Hearts 4. And no, unfortunately, I wasn't joking. It's a real thing, and now we have to talk about it. So, guys, from VGC, Kingdom Hearts 4 was officially announced during a Kingdom Hearts 20th anniversary event held in Tokyo, Japan on Sunday. The debut trailer features Sora, you know, the protagonist of the, of the series, of course. How could you not know Sora? Running through the city before the title card appears, Donald Duck and Goofy, because why the fuck not, also appear. Currently, there's no release window or platforms that have been specified for the game, but of course we fucking know it's targeting PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. If I'm wrong about that, fucking shoot me, there's no way I am. According to Square Enix, Kingdom Hearts 4 will mark the beginning of an epic new storyline titled The Lost Master Arc. Ooh, so fucking cool. Players are introduced to the Quantum, which is... Uh, the, the, sorry. Players are introduced to the Quadratum, which Square Enix describes as a large, expansive city set in a gorgeous, realistic, unlike anything you've ever seen before in a Kingdom Hearts series. The, basically, it's just New Dunk City for Kingdom Hearts. The debut trailer sees the return of Sora's Disney companions, Donald and Goofy, in addition with the first appearance of Strelitzia, who is described as a mysterious new character who appears before Sora in the new set. God damn it. It's currently unclear which platforms the game will release on, as we already said, but during the event, Scranix also noted a new mobile game spinoff, Kingdom Hearts Missing Link, which sounds like a fucking Wii U game, will uh, will also appear in a specific region earlier later in the year via beta. Now, Kingdom Hearts series is a, is a role-playing game series, which was originally designed as a creation, a collaboration between Square Enix and Disney, and originally debuted on the PlayStation 2 in March of 2002. The most recent entry is 2019's Kingdom Hearts 3, which introduced worlds based on Pixar films from the first time for the first time, including Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. It was also the first game in the series to be released for Xbox platforms. Of course, it was on Xbox One. Now, oh boy... If you care, you've seen the trailer. If you don't, consider yourself lucky. Now, here's the big notable thing. First of all, the the game, obviously, Sora and the world look a lot more like uh, realistic, lifelike, whereas Kingdom Hearts has traditionally had an, a, a style, like an anime, artsy kind of style, 
which kind of blends the humans with the Disney characters a little better. Uh, of course, now to make the game even more cringe than it already was, they for some reason made the decision to start making the game look a little more realistic, kind of like Final Fantasy 15 and stuff like that. So now Sora looks a lot more lifelike and uh, Uncanny Valley-like, and I can't wait to see what that looks like juxtaposed against fucking I, whoever the fuck from Encanto, because you know they're going to do Encanto in this game. And that's just going to be awesome, and I'm, I'm definitely not going to kill myself over that, huh? And um, so that's happening. Now, obviously, you can tell by the new art style, the mature Sora look that they're going for, and this whole promotional thing of the new quad, Quadratium or whatever the fuck they're talking about. This is basically a... A soft reboot for the series. Kingdom Hearts fans were... And, and this... It, it, you know, shout out to Kingdom Hearts fans. And this is one only time I'll ever shout you people out. But shout out to Kingdom Hearts fans for being able to call bullshit where they call bullshit. Because even though people like myself have always been haters and just always shat on Kingdom Hearts from the get. Kingdom Hearts fans were at least not far enough gone to acknowledge the fact that Kingdom Hearts 3 was painfully disappointing. It's a game they waited for for so long, and then the game came out, and the story was just absolute gibberish. And hey, even though I hate Kingdom Hearts, I can speak to this, because at the time, I was writing for a Disney website, and I was the guy in charge of video game shit. So when this game came out, I actually had to purchase it and play it through to completion, just to talk about it. So... Even though I've I've almost beaten Kingdom Hearts 1 when I was a kid. I got to the last boss and quit. I never played Kingdom Hearts 2, but I watched my brother play it. And I never played the 80, 87 other games on handhelds um, that are apparently also part of the main story. And then I played through all of Kingdom Hearts 3. So I would say I am surprisingly qualified to speak on Kingdom Hearts as someone who hates Kingdom Hearts. Okay? So keep that in mind as I continue on and shit on this game. But... Clearly, it looks like what they're trying to do is soft reboot the franchise, and the reason for that is, one, Kingdom Hearts' story got way too fucking convoluted with all the spinoff games, and then with three, having literally nothing to do with anything in the world ever because it's just a bunch of nothing. Um, and so I think what they're trying to do to respond to fan feedback and to address the fact that they made their game way too convoluted for anyone to casually follow along with, I think they're trying to do it's gonna be it's it's gonna be like that it's like star wars force awakens or like gears of war 4 it's gonna be like this is a sequel but we're not really gonna reference much of the old games it's gonna be kind of like a lot of time has passed things have changed and now we're starting with a new story in a slightly different looking world so that you know newcomers can jump on board for the first time and kind of catch on to what's work what's going on here now i find it impossibly hard to think that square enix the team behind fucking final fantasy can somehow make a Kingdom Hearts game that is simplistic, streamlined, and easy for newcomers to just jump in and follow. I, I can't imagine they they could do that without fucking it up. But my my guess, and and I'm willing to I'm willing to bet on this confidently, that that's what they're going for is a soft reboot kind of um, jumping on point for new players to try and reinvigorate the brand, get win back over your fans, and get new players to be like, oh, what's this awesome, whoa, what's this amazing game where Raya and the Last Dragon get to meet up with Sid Meier's revolution from Final Fantasy, and they get to go on an epic journey across time and space, and they have to uh, fucking convince Anton Ego from Disney's Ratatouille that um, anyone can cook for some godforsaken reason, and then I'll be over here like, I know you guys think I'm into this shit because I like Disney, but this 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 actually hurts my soul so much more than you could ever imagine. Speaking of soul, they'll probably fucking put Joe Gardner from Soul into the movie. Ah, oh, help Sora and fucking Sethroth from 
Final Fantasy VII, teach Joe Gardner how to from from Pixar's hit movie Soul how to uh, how to live in the moment and find out that uh, that life is not a self-imposed purpose, but rather learning to appreciate life itself and to see into taking the beauty knowing that our time is limited on this godforsaken earth and if you're lucky you die before they make a kingdom hearts 4 but no some of us some of us didn't get spared apparently so hey guys kingdom hearts 4 is coming i can't fucking wait i i god i hope this thing bricks xboxes so that people never buy it oh okay <laughs> trying to keep my foot off the fuck you kingdom hearts gas pedal let's let's try to be a little less uh, emotional about it and just talk about the facts. Now, it's Kingdom Hearts we're talking about. The last game, I think they announced in like 2012 or 13 or some shit like that and didn't come out until 2019. So also knowing how Final Fantasy uh, and Square Enix like to, to, to act, you know, look at Final Fantasy 15, they like to announce a game that is seven minutes into development and then talk about it endlessly for 10 years before it actually comes out. So there's a good chance that Kingdom Hearts 4 is very early in development and very far off from coming out. So keep that in mind. If you're really excited about this game, you might not be getting it anytime too soon, but hey, good for you guys. You're getting another one of those Kingdom Hearts games. I just can't wait to see if Tom Hanks is going to tell us to search deep inside of ourselves and find uh, find the darkness in our hearts so that we can expel, expel ourselves of what's holding us back from being loved by our friends who want to save us from fucking... Oh my god, I want to murder myself. Okay, um, I, I really don't have anything else to say on this. Obviously, this is huge news. Kingdom Hearts, very, very, very popular series. Very new to Xbox, but not new to Xbox gamers, because as, as it seems anecdotally, everyone I ever have known who's an Xbox fan um, has a lot of experience with Kingdom Hearts, especially if you're someone who grew up in the early 2000s like I did. This is probably a game that means quite a bit to you, or a franchise that means quite a bit to you for some godforsaken reason. And and um, yeah, man. So Kingdom Hearts 4, on the way, not much being said other than it's in development. They're clearly going for a... Uh, a more mature kind of soft reset of the tone and the atmosphere. And uh, what is this about Super Mario Odyssey that just like influenced every Japanese game? That's like, we can put our cartoon characters in the real world. It's okay. You know, Super Mario Odyssey, Odyssey was like, we're going to put Mario in New Donk City and fuck it. Even though Mario is a human, he's going to look like a cartoon pushed up against all these other real life looking characters. And then Sonic was like, yeah, we could do that shit. I guess we'll do this new Sonic Frontiers game, which just looks like Zelda Breath of the Wild with Sonic, and then everyone's doing this shit, and Kirby's eating cars, and Sora's looking like a real goddamn human next to Donald Duck. Um, all right, we, we gotta move on, because clearly I can't just be nice. So, happy for you guys. It's on the way. It has been announced. Let me know your hype level for Kingdom Hearts 4. Until then, let's just kind of pretend it's not real. All right, talking about... Here's a nice palate cleanser, and thank God. Halo Infinite. Oh, there's a game I like. Okay. VGC reports next up that Microsoft and 343 Industries have confirmed that Halo Infinite Season 2 will officially launch on May 3rd, 2022. Quote, experience fresh content, including new maps, modes, limited time events, and new battle passes, a new battle pass that never expires. Also to release following the um, trailer for Season 2, 
which is titled Lone Wolves. Worth noting, the uh, the content was originally set to launch in early 2022 before Season 1 ended up getting extended. A member of the Halo Infinite com- development team recently acknowledged that the game's community was out of patience with 343's industry's perceived lack of activity and communication. Community director Brian Gerard posted a reply to a Reddit user who said he'd wished the studio had acknowledged that there are issues impacting progress on new features for the game, like the delayed forge mode, forge mode and campaign co-op. Quote, there are indeed a lot of challenges and constraints. Gerard said, we are certainly not happy that we are unable to meet community expectations. We talked about this last week, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, they're focusing on season two. So, guys, season two, they showed it off for the first time. And I got to be honest, this is one of those, you got to be kind of an eagle-eyed fan to really see what was so special about this we know there are two new maps coming an arena map and a big team battle map we know there's a new battle pass with tons of new unlockables and cosmetics i'm sorry but for me that is not enough now they have said that there's still more to talk about i don't know how little or big that more might be but if it's not something substantial like hey here's an you know well they they did say there's a new mode what what the fuck is the mode they said that was going to be there yeah i can't i can't remember i thought they they said there was going to be some kind of new playlist but you know, if they're not talking about, if they don't end up uh, announcing anytime soon that gun game cross battle royale, small scale, big team battle kind of mode that we talked about last week or, or just something exciting like that, then I'll, 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 I'll say Count Scott, he was right. You know, if you do a season two and it's just a little bit of, of new content after months and months of people waiting eagerly for new shit, people are going to eat this shit up and be done with it in no time. You got to have something substantial to show. And that's my only concern is that 343, obviously they have content on the way. That's exciting. It's coming soon. We know we're just a few weeks away from season two. That's awesome. But if they really don't have anything substantial to show other than just like two maps and a and a new battle pass, it's like, oof, you know? Now, they had a lot of really exciting things they talked about. We and I think we talked about this a little bit last week about they are working on addressing fan concerns and, and feedback overall. They want to add Spartan rank back into the game. They're looking for an elegant way to do that. They want to make sure that timed events are a little more uh, exciting on a repeat basis and just all these many factors and statistics and things that people wanted to be able to track and consider and compare and all these things. And, and to me, the big thing was really the reintroduction of a personal progress rank or like a Spartan rank. And they said that that is something they are actively working on and is on the way and Boy, oh boy, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for that. Um, unfortunately, that's not a season two launch thing. That is a, oh, we're working on it kind of thing. But yeah, that's uh, that's my only thing. I, I think it's going to be, unfortunately, one of those things where we're going to have to find out as, either as we get real close to launch or once the the new season is actually out. And I know they've been focusing really hard on, you know, players want us to have more content in the battle pass. It's like premium content. So it's not like, average shit in the battle pass and like premium shit you have to buy separate and they want to be able to cross customize so that you can unlock a certain piece of gear and mix it with any armor class and and they're working on all those things and that's great that's great content that's great feedback people want that i'm glad they're doing it but it's like (laughs) what we need are maps and guns and modes like that's what we need more than anything like the cosmetic shit matters the progression shit matters it's cool i'm excited for that i'm glad they're addressing it i'm glad people People's feedback is being heard. That's all excellent. But those are the the little things. The big things are more maps, more guns, more modes. Now, not to completely discredit what they're working on, because, of of course, a lot of the progression shit is... It does end up affecting the way people play the game. You see a lot of times where people don't play the objective, or they, they milk a certain mode, or they do a certain thing, just purely out of trying to unlock 
certain daily challenges to get further in the battle pass, things like that. I don't really know that they're going to be able to address that all too much with the way the game is set up, but if they are working on progression schemes and ways for players to unlock progression based on performance and not necessarily just daily activities and challenges and stuff, then hopefully we're, we're reaching a point where it might encourage more people to play the game just casually, like play the mode you want to play, play the way you want to play, just play and have fun and you will unlock stuff, which is the way it should have been from the get. But I mean, ultimately the most important thing we could ask for for Halo, more modes, more maps, more guns, more weapons rather, and um, more equipment. That's that's unfortunately not what we're hearing so far. So we're it, it, I'm afraid we're not really going to know how much of a success or failure Season 2 is until we're really here with it. But May 3rd, not too far away, guys. Just a couple weeks away. That is one, two, three weeks. Less than three weeks away. So we'll find out when the time comes. But you guys, here's the latest update. The trailer's out. I'm sure many of you were probably able to watch it and see a lot more. Notice a lot more content than I was. To me, I was just like, looks like more Halo. You know, it just looks like they're playing a new, a single new map here. But otherwise, it's just a montage of fighting. I wish there was a more of a detailed trailer kind of outlining the specific new content, but we'll probably get that in a little bit as we get closer to launch. So I'm not I'm not personally disappointed. I'm just not necessarily like excited about what we've seen so far, if that makes sense. I don't know. I don't care. I'm still having a fun time with the game, and I know it's going to get better and better and better, but boy, I want that. I, I want to play a snowy map and a desert map and a, and a fiery, lava-y map and a fucking all, all the different maps, you know? I want to play on a Covenant spaceship. Like, let me play this stuff. Or, I guess, a banished spaceship. All right, let's continue on with Halo, because this is the more exciting and fun Halo news. Might offer some uh, some <clears throat> some promise for the future of Halo. So, as reported by Windows Central, Certain Affinity has long been a close partner of Microsoft and Xbox, having worked on Halo games for years. Now, Windows Central has it on good authority that the studio is also contributing to other upcoming Xbox titles, including Perfect Dark, while potentially also making an all-new exclusive of its own, dubbed Suerte, which we talked about a month or two ago when that was first uh, teased by Windows Central. Now, to, now, this week, the studio have announced that it is deepening its contri- contributions with Halo, specifically to work on Halo Infinite, which has been under scrutiny for a relatively slow pace of updates. Earlier in the year, certain, avi- certain Affinity, uh, or Windows Central revealed that Certain Affinity is working on a new mode for the Halo uh, Infinite, for Halo Infinite, codenamed Tatanka, which, and today, it would appear that Certain Affinity has confirmed it. Quote, this is from their Twitter account, We've been a part of Halo franchise for more than 15 years, and we're honored to say that we are deepening our relationship with 343 and have been entrusted with some further development in Halo Infinite in some new and exciting ways. Join us on the journey. Now, uh, continuing on with the story, weeks ago it was revealed that Microsoft and Certain Affinity are working on an Xbox-exclusive project that we just talked about, dubbed Project Suerte, which has been codenamed for the... Uh, which has been which had the codename and project info. It was Jeff Grubb on his show Grub Snacks who revealed that Suerte is a Monster Hunter-like action game and it's coming exclusively to Xbox and PC when it would when it releases. Exactly what Halo Infinite's Tatanka is remains to be seen, but rumors suggest that it could be Battle Royale related, at least with Battle Royale elements, complete with a shrinking arena as the game progresses. So there's a lot to unpack here. Certain Affinity continues to show up more and more when we talk about Xbox. And they have been a part of Xbox for so long. Now, they've worked on games like Halo and also things like Call of Duty for many years. Usually, they are multiplayer support. They work on adding new maps and content to multiplayer suites to help these teams get their their games out on time. Um, But 
we're seeing them get closer and closer with Xbox than they ever have before. And they've already always had kind of an Xbox slant or affiliation over, over the years. So this only makes sense. And honestly, the only thing I can think of is it's kind of weird that we didn't know sooner or that if we didn't rather, if that, if it, if it just wasn't known sooner because it wasn't happening sooner, it's kind of crazy to think that it just didn't happen from the get to where certain affinity had a closer, a closer, uh, relationship and a heavier hand in the development of Halo Infinite because they, they've proven time and time again that they're great. They, they've they added to... They've worked on Halo 2. They've worked on Halo 3. They've worked on every Halo. they worked on Reach and 4 and 5. And, and so to see them come from basically the beginning of when Halo became an online gaming phenomenon all the way to today, it can entrust players with a certain amount of confidence that they are a great support team to have working alongside 343, especially when we're here talking about how Halo Infinite doesn't have enough maps and content and game modes and things like that. So we've known they've been working on Halo Infinite for a while now in some capacity, particularly in regards to this Tatanka rumor about some specific mode. Everyone thinks this is their response to Battle Royale, which I you know, I love it. I think that's I think that's great. I think Certain Affinity is probably a great team to tackle this project. I'm excited to see what they come up with. Assuming that they are the ones doing the Battle Royale thing, that's great. But I'd like to see them do more because I I, I think I think 343 needs more than just a support team that's going to help deliver a Battle Royale mode. I think they need more arena shit. They need more maps. They need more big theme battle stuff. They need a lot. And so while this announcement doesn't specify what they're going to be doing, this might just be their pre their preface to saying we have a really big exciting battle royale mode to announce down the road and here is the first part of that announcement which is us saying we're getting closer with xbox maybe it's just a public relations kind of thing right but we can also assume that maybe this is them saying no no no. initially we were just contracted to work on some kind of battle royale type mode but now we're actually going to continue to work on the game and get even closer by working on other aspects of the multiplayer offering whether maybe it's something to do with the online co-op or forge or arena or big team battle who knows but it seems like they're getting a bigger hand in it in a more permanent and effective role, and that's awesome. It's exciting. I, I look forward to this because it means Halo Infinite will be a more fleshed-out project sooner rather than later. It means we have good hands working on the project, hands that we know are capable for the job and have proven before that they can do this. And uh, it's it's all around just a good thing. It means more Halo, better Halo, and it gives certain Infinity some guaranteed work. But we also know certain Infinity is kind of spread thin because they're helping with Perfect Dark. They've helped with a lot of other games with other publishers. They are working on, apparently rumored by Windows Central, and I believe it because Windows Central is very reliable, that they're working on their own AAA game that has been commissioned for for Xbox and PC. This Monster Hunter-like type experience. And while that's all well and good, I, I can't help but think, why does Xbox have so many coals, so, so many irons in the fire with, with this specific team in particular but they're putting a ring on activision they're putting a ring on compulsion they're putting a ring on all these teams that don't necessarily scream xbox or have the history or, or make total sense but then there's certain affinity and it's like the, these guys make all the sense in the world they've been with xbox for so long they've been with halo for so long they continue to be a great support team and in a time now where especially we see that Xbox needs support on their development. And so I, I just can't help but wonder why the hell hasn't this team been brought into the, the Xbox family fold, right? And I've seen comments that, well, it's hard to make additional acquisitions and do things like that, other mergers, when they're in the process uh, and going through the, the routine of, of, all, of everything that's involved with the Activision acquisition. So if that is to be... If that, if that is truly the case, then I guess it makes sense, right? Why things are gunked up. But still, it's like, 
certain affinities a team Xbox maybe should have tried to acquire fuck like at least two or three years ago at least you know that's something I would have announced during the lead up to Halo Infinite not six months after the game came out and nonetheless I, I just feel like it is all but inevitable that at some point Xbox is going to try to bring certain affinity in-house because you know Phil Spencer at least at one point talked about how you know the acquisitions for Team Xbox have to make sense with the brand. It has to be some kind of history or some kind of connection, a way in which there's there, there's a logical reason why that team should be a part of Xbox. And there are very few teams left, you know, after the acquisition of of, of teams like um like Bethesda and Obsidian th- in, in in companies like that. There are very few teams left that I think really 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 fit that mold the way that certain affinity does. You know, I think Bioware at one point definitely would have been one of those teams as well. But maybe not so much these days. But certain affinity, they are absolutely up there. And um, I, I don't know, man. I feel like this is they're they're slowly working more and more into this. You, you think maybe it's like they have a deal where like, hey, let's see this Monster Hunter type game you're working on, and let's see how your battle royale mode goes for Halo. If you can land two or three of these projects you're working on with us, and and, and they're met with great success, we want to offer an opportunity to uh, acquire you. You know, that sounds like a very Sony way to approach it, but maybe that's what Microsoft is saying and, and thinking right now about certain affinity. Because we saw, speaking of PlayStation, they just acquired Bluepoint, which has been a great support studio that has worked closely with stu- with Sony time and time again. Actually, they worked with Microsoft and EA when they brought Titanfall to Xbox 360 back in 2014. But Bluepoint has a very long track record with Sony in particular. And Sony recently acquired them, and it was a great fit for Sony because they're an awesome support team that has proven their stuff time and time again and has been a huge asset to PlayStation. And now I'm looking at certain affinity. I'm like, Xbox, if we're going tick for tat, which is a lot of what we've seen with these massive games industry acquisitions lately then I think certain affinity is, I mean, they're not a one-to-one with what Bluepoint is. Bluepoint ports games and uprises games and things like that generally. Certain affinity aids in development. They usually work on multiplayer components of, of, of video of competitive games like Halo and Call of Duty. So not necessarily a one-to-one, but they are a support team and they have a long-standing history with Xbox and they just make sense. And so I think maybe you wait till the Activision deal is done and they got a project or two that they're working on out and about to kind of prove their worth again as like a final test before you want to extend the offer. But yeah, dude, certain affinity in Xbox, like this is, this one just makes sense. I don't know really what Xbox has been doing that this hasn't come up sooner, to be honest, but I'm really excited to see them have a bigger hand in the development of Halo Infinite going forward. And this gives me a sense of assurance that Halo is in better hands than it was yesterday knowing that certain affinity is, is going to take a more active role in the development of, of post-launch support and continued content in this game. And uh, I don't know. I, t- I say I say welcome, certain affinity. Please port Powerhouse from Halo Reach over to Halo Infinite. Thank you. All right, our next story comes from VGC, where Microsoft is reportedly working on an improved chip for the Xbox Series X, according to a journalist. Speaking on his YouTube channel, as transcribed by Pure Xbox, journalist Brad Sams, follow Brad Sams if you don't, he's, he's, he's great shit. He talks about Surface a lot, too. Brad Sams revealed that he's aware of Microsoft's development plans regarding new chipsets for the Xbox Series X console. Quote, I believe this is true. I know Microsoft is working on revisions of the chip. He said, now, are we going to see a performance improvement or are we going to see anything else? I don't believe so. But Microsoft is always working on making uh, cooler, more effective chips because it lowers the cost of production. Chip revisions throughout life of the console are common. However, it's currently unclear if the chip is in development for inclusion of the Series X or potentially a mid-cycle refresh. Xbox One X, which was released in 2017, five years ago after the Xbox 
five years after the Xbox One. So if Microsoft were interested in maintaining that same cadence with its current consoles, it is likely that it would currently be in the development stages. While stock for both current generation consoles continues to struggle, it appears Microsoft is having an easier time replenishing stock as Xbox Series X consoles are regularly stocked while Microsoft official store uh, and can even be purchased by using an Xbox console. The Xbox Series consoles monthly sales in Europe were higher than those of the PlayStation 5 for the first time in the month of February. And GamesIndustry.biz data shows that Microsoft's Xbox Series consoles were sold in Europe more than PlayStation 5 consoles in the past month, which we already talked about at the top of the show. Now, this is one of two things, obviously. For those saying, are they are they looking to just make random Xbox Series X is more powerful and whatnot. No, no, no. This is either one of two things. It is either, yes, they're working on the Xbox Series X version X or whatever, you know, your mid-cycle refresh, your Xbox One X equivalent of the Series X. It's either that or this is one of those, we can find a way to make the current power that the Xbox Series X uh, achieves more efficient, more effective, more cost-effective. Um, in a way that will help us speed up production of these Xboxes because you got to think with the ongoing shortage and, and inability to get these fucking consoles on the shelves between both Microsoft and PlayStation, there's probably a big effort. Uh, there's probably a big effort to want to get these consoles made easier and more effective than they're currently being made because obviously they're hitting a lot of roadblocks getting these things out the door. Now, if COVID had never happened and everything had been normal and these consoles were really hard to find for six months and then they made enough of them that everyone could buy one like normal, like is usually the case with a new console generation, maybe we'd be reading the story and I'd be saying, oh yeah, this is them in the early pre-work pre, uh, on the next Xbox iteration console, right? Because they're always R&Ding. Everyone's always R&Ding, of course. They probably have new Xboxes that are far more superior than the Xbox Series X because they're always working on the future. But... This sounds more like a reporting saying that they're working on something, whether it's in early stages or not, that is intended to go on a near future Xbox. And if it weren't for the way that 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 the pandemic and everything completely fucked with the the supply chain, I would be saying, yeah, this is probably them working on their mid-cycle refresh. But because we are a year and a half into the life cycle of the Xbox Series X, and it's still almost always impossible to find, because we're a year and a half into the, the life cycle of the PS5, and it is like literally impossible to find, I, I have a feeling that Microsoft and Sony might be looking at another Xbox 360 PS3 generation where PlayStation 3 and Xbox uh, 360, uh, they, they, they stayed on the market about another year or two longer than they were initially supposed to. They were supposed to be replaced around 2010, 2011, I think, or it was like 2011, 2012 was the original intention, but it was because of the way that the 2008 economic... Um, economic crises kind of like really affected the it staggered the economy or or, or stalled the economy um, ended up kind of keeping those consoles on on the market for longer because developers had to start focusing their development effort more and more on the current gen because people that you know they no one was going to develop and put out a new console so close to an economic crisis um, and so it ended up basically having this trickle effect where more and more developers started focusing on the current hardware and they focused more on supporting current hardware rather than developing and pushing out the next iteration, which ended up, of course, being Xbox One, PS4. And, and I kind of help, can't help but wonder if maybe we're looking at a similar thing where, you know, we're used to the PS4, Xbox One generation introduced the concept of this mid-cycle refresh where it's not just a slim model that you get after a few years of a console. You get a 
better version of the same console, you know, the Xbox One X, a PS4 Pro. And so maybe maybe they're on track to do exactly what they were going to do anyway, and we'll get an Xbox Series X X or a PS5 Pro, right? But I, I got to think that with the frustration, the unending frustration consumers have with not being able to get a new Series X or a new PS5, maybe Xbox and Microsoft or, or, or Xbox and, and PlayStation are looking at a way to at a way to extend the life cycle of these things and maybe just make them more efficient, try to get them back to market faster. Maybe maybe we'll get a slim model soon, but the mid-cycle refresh, maybe we're not as close to that as we normally would be because, I mean, just think about how much it sucks. Let's say we got another 6 to 12 months of PS5s and Series Xs being impossible to get. Let's just let's just guess that 6 to 12 months, right? If it's if it's this Christmas or next spring when people can finally start easily getting their hands on a new Xbox or PlayStation, that means it'll have been at least two years that these platforms, that these consoles were on the market before people could easily and regularly and casually walk into a store and buy them. And now you're going to tell me, hey, I know you've been trying to buy a PS5 since November 2020, but... Now you can finally buy one in 2023. Just so you know, in 2024, we're planning on replacing it with a revised model that's slightly more powerful. You can still buy the Series X if you want, but we're going to also have a new, more powerful version on the market. I feel like you don't want to slap your fucking user base in the face like that so quick. You know, it's like, it's not your fault it took you so long to get yourself an Xbox Series X, but fuck you, a new one's already on the way. And I, I just can't help but wonder if maybe what they're doing is they're just really focusing their development and R&D efforts on trying to tweak the current hardware to make it obviously the same thing it is, but in a more easy to manufacture and produce way to get more units on the store shelves. Or if we're really just seeing the beginnings of working on the mid the mid cycle refresh or the slim model or the, the, the next successor, right? I don't know. It's hard to tell, but that's that an idea I do want to just present to the world because <laughs> push out to the audience rather, uh, just because. I mean, yeah, just just think about it because I know there are people who listen to this very podcast right now who still don't have their Xbox Series X. You know, I, I, every time the PS5 goes on sale, I try to secure one in my shopping cart, not because I want to buy it, but just because I just want to see can I even get one of these in my shopping cart. So every time I see a tweet where like it's live on Walmart, it's live on Amazon, it's live on Best Buy, whatever. I immediately click on the link. I'm like, let me, let me, I just want to see if I can get one in my shopping cart. I'll let it go and let someone else buy it immediately. But like, I just want to see. No, I still have two, a year and a half later. I still haven't even been able to get in my shopping cart. So there's that. All right, guys. And then our final story of the week. We're talking Sega. So I don't really know how much I have to add to this story. I'm a little weary about, honestly, my comprehension of the story. But we'll try, we'll try to make something of it. Sega shed some more light on its Super Game project, which we talked about last year, explaining that if it actually refers to mul- it actually refers to multiple games being developed rather than one big game using cloud incorporated cloud or NFT technology. In May of last year, the company revealed during its financial result presentation that its long-term five-year strategy includes the creation of Super Game. Its parent company, Sega Sammy, then claimed that it would consider investing up to 100 billion yen or 882 million US dollars over the next five years to achieve its super game ambitions. At the time, it was believed that Super Game was going to be a single enormous title with a brand new interview uh, that came out this past week has now referred to it as a description Sega is giving to the number of high-budget games that's planning on developing. In an interview on Sega Japan's recruitment website translated by VGC, Executive VP Shuji Utsumi explains that Sega offers a wide range of game content, including hardware, 
and arcade content, and which is impo- is made possible by its diverse range of technologies. We've defined Super Game as a development of AAA titles that cross over Sega's comprehensive range of technologies and will aim to achieve in our next five-year plan. Explaining further, it's said that several titles are being developed within the framework of Super Game, and that while each title will vary, there's no doubt that they will be interactive titles that go beyond the traditional framework of games. For example, in the past, people played games. People who played games were called gamers, but now watching games has become a, a culture in itself, and such people could no longer be called gamers. I think there's a great potential in the relationship between people who play and watch games. We're thinking of creating new entertainment where the, within these possibilities. According to Itsumi, a super game title has, has to meet the four main criteria, being multi-platform, global uh, multi-language development, simultaneous worldwide release, and a AAA title. In other words, you can imagine the scale of the game development will be a glo- will uh, will be that of that of a global blockbuster. Sega's general manager Katsuya Hisai added that several projects are currently underway for Super Game in the development. There are around 50 people already involved in the initial stages, and they expect uh, the final numbers of employees will be several hundred by the time all is said and done. Now, Super Game project could also incorporate cloud technology and NFTs, two technologies that Sega has recently been getting involved with. Sega producer uh, Masayoshi Kukuchi. Kikuchi explained during a, the same interview that gaming has a history of expansion through the connection of various cultures and technologies. For example, social networking and gaming and game video viewing are recent examples. It is natural, he says, quote, is natural uh, extension for the future of gaming and it will expand to involve new areas such as cloud gaming and NFT where we are developing super game from the perspective of how far different games can be connected to each other. Sega announced in November that it has agreed a strategic alliance with Microsoft in which it sees Japanese game giant develop using games with Xbox firms Azure cloud platform. Meanwhile, the in January, the company registered a trademark for Sega NFT. And a week after, CEO Haruki Satomi appeared to have cooled on the idea somewhat, acknowledging that the current negativity around the NFT landscape. So, again, very vague concept, so it's hard for me to just pinpoint what they're really talking about so we had to we had to do some 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 just educated guessing here right last year when we were talking about super game it looked like what they were talking about was making one really big triple a game and using cloud technology using azure and the microsoft's development stack to try and build a project that was super super high budget super um next gen and multi-platform and accessible and basically by by this i meant a game that could play on anything from PlayStation to a phone to an Xbox to a PC to a Nintendo Switch. And you would get the same experience regardless because it would be developed through cloud technology. So you could play a mix of local or through the cloud or or just one. And you'd be able to get a high performance experience in that game no matter where you play because it is developed with cloud in mind. This would also not only allow for it to play on any type of hardware and not be limited through hardware, but also be really really a powerful and sorry ground pushing or breaking experience because you could use cloud cloud power computing power to power a game that is far more capable than anything you'd be able to run on an xbox series x or a high-end pc and so that was kind of our initial concept of what super game was supposed to be now we know it is basically a methodology for uh, approaching next-gen or AAA games in general for Sega as a studio. And when you look at the four core areas they talk about, it's kind of 
generic, right? Because they talk about multi-platform. Well, okay, most games made by third-party developers are multi-platform. Uh, it's global multi-language development. Well, yeah, any AAA game is multi-language because you got to have it apply for your North American, your European, your Asian market, everything, right? And then simultaneous worldwide releases. Well, yeah, most big multiplayer-centric offerings have to release globally because you need a global market to jump in the game altogether and have access. That's how you build and cultivate a community. So, okay. And then lastly, they just vaguely say it must be a AAA title, which kind of just reiterates what they're already saying. So their four key criteria kind of don't really mean or, or mean anything or really tell us a whole lot of anything because it's like, well, yeah. I mean, all those same things could be said about fucking Call of Duty or Far Cry 5 or like Far Cry 6 or whatever the fuck just came out. It's like, yeah, right? It's just worldwide launch, launch, AAA game, multi-language development, simultaneous worldwide release. Like, okay. So then they talk about the cloud stuff more and more, which I think does kind of call back to what we talked about last year with potentially being able to make a more capable game despite the hardware restraints of the platform you're playing it on while also making it more accessible for platforms that traditionally wouldn't be able to run a game like this. So again, I think it's just about trying to make games um, as accessible as possible. So making control schemes easy and simplistic, making hardware requirements non-existent, making uh, power requirements non-existent, making it basically just about a user and a game and nothing but an internet connection basically standing in between those two things. But now they're talking about NFTs, and this is where it starts to get weird because last last year or, or at the beginning of the year, whenever it was, Sega had said that they were dubious about the future of NFTs and that they saw that the market largely saw it as a scam and that they didn't want to get involved if it's something that their audience wasn't going to um, feel good about and comfortable with. And now they're talking about getting involved in NFTs. And I can assure you that the market has not gotten comfortable with NFTs. People are still dubious of it because, like it or not, NFTs are a fucking scam. And so for a second to say, we're monitoring it. We don't really want to get involved if our users think it's a scam. And then a month later, just be like, yeah, it's a scam, but fuck you. We're getting involved in it. It's like, what? okay, what? And then they keep talking about game streaming and how you're not really a gamer if you watch game streams, but you don't play games. And so now I think we're talking about something else entirely. Where it's like, okay, so we're not just talking about playing a game on your phone or a computer or a console. We're also talking about like maybe gaming experiences that aren't necessarily like you pick up and control the game, but where you can have like global, uh, like communal kind of gaming sessions. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is remember back in the day when Twitch would do uh, Twitch plays Pokemon and stuff like that, where it was like a bot that played Pokemon and then like the chat would um, type in what they want the game to do and then the algorithm would basically take the most common response and, and use that input. So it's like people are like press start, press down, press select and whatever. It's like whatever inputs are being most commonly fed through the, the, the chat, the, the, the game would then input in and basically people played Pokemon Red and Blue through Twitch chat through this method. I, I don't think there's, they're basically saying they're making a AAA version of Twitch plays Pokemon, but... I think about that experience and I think about, okay, are they talking about having it, you know, like a more connected and communal way of interacting with a game in a, in a, in a live way, in a way where you actually have an input and control over the game itself, but you're not necessarily holding an Xbox controller and playing a video game by yourself like a gamer. I, I don't know. It's, it sounds like they're trying to think outside the box of what is a game. And so what I'm expecting from this is twofold. I'm expecting, AAA games that are multiplayer-centric and have NFTs, but I'm also picturing an attempt at making games that are 
kind of reinventing the or trying to carve out their own genre, their own approach to interactive entertainment. I think of things like like uh, like the Telltale games where it's like adventure point and click dialogue games. And then I think of things like walking simulators, quote unquote, like Gone Home, where you don't really have action. You don't like fight things or kill things. You just walk around and explore a world and you learn the story through exploring. And I think about applying that kind of like unique thinking into like how can we use this stuff to make AAA gaming experiences for a wide ranging market so that we can cast the net and get people to try our product that aren't just gamers, but also just people with phones and people who want to be entertained in new and unique ways. And it seems to me that's what super game is all about. And it's a very lofty, vague concept that they haven't specified on. And it means nothing until they prove it to me. So my guess is this is their desire to say, we want to make a game that can have it all. It can be hardcore, it can be casual, it can be a console game, it can be a cloud game, it can be a mobile game, it can be a PC game. It can be super powerful thanks to the power of the cloud, or it could just be streamed to your device thanks to the power of the cloud. It could be played locally if you want a more performance-oriented situation, but it's also a community-focused game. It's multiplayer, it's also you don't have to hold a controller to play it, and maybe they're talking about multiple games falling under these aspects, these categories, but... It sounds like they're saying a whole lot of things, but they're not really identifying anything particular. And so it just sounds like like Sega is trying to be very innovative and, and very forward thinking and trying to think about where all the technologies that are really playing prominent roles in gaming right now, things that we talk about like Twitch streaming and cloud and, and, and subscription services and being able to take your games wherever you go, whether we're talking about Switch or Game Pass on, on, on Android devices, whatever the case may be, it, it looks like Sega's trying to take all those things into consideration and say, how can we, if we put all these things together, where is like the cross-sectionality of like where games go from here? And it looks like that's the question that Sega's trying to answer. And in being so vague about it, all I can say as a consumer is... You're just, you're just hyping up your brand and not really saying anything of of substance right now. So, there's not much I can really offer in terms of thought or or much excitement or interest I can really have for this because it seems like an initiative that you just want me to be interested in because you want people to be interested. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, missing a lot of really important key details. Maybe there's something really obvious here that that's just going going right over my head, but. That's that's all I can really gather from this story at this time. And quite frankly, if they're going to continue to be this vague about it, I, I kind of rather not give a shit about it for the time being. So for now, that's that's Sega's a super game project as we know it, at least or as, as I'm able to interpret it. But that's going to do it for all of our main news this week, you guys. Now, let's uh, let's wind down with some important enough news stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We've got Windows Central relaying that the Master Chief Collection has gotten a big update. Yes, not Halo Infinite, the Master Chief Collection. And with it comes some really cool features. Flood Fight has been added to the game, a version of th- Halo 3 ODST Firefight that includes the Flood. In addition to these infectious new foes, Firefight includes Elites now, which have the ability, uh, which have ability for ODSTs to use energy swords and the Sentinel Beams. I can't wait to give this a try. Outside of that, 343 has also added co-op cross-play between Xbox consoles and PC for Halo 3, ODST, Halo Reach, Halo Combat Evolved, and Anniversary 2. Um, Unfortunately, sorry, unfortunately, Halo Reach, Combat Evolved, and Anniversary 2 don't support co-op campaign cross-play, but 3 and ODST do. Next up, Windows Central relays that Vicarious Visions, the studio known for the extensive extensive remasters, have officially lost 
its name and has become an extension of Blizzard Entertainment. Now, we already knew that they had been basically morphed into Blizzard, but now they are completely just part of the team and have lost all identity. Prior reports indicated that Vicarious Visions would lose its name and become fully integrated and part of Blizzard. Uh, something confirmed by Vicarious Visions' Twitter account this past week. So that is a real sad one. Pour it out for our boys at Vicarious Visions. Thank you for all the awesome, awesome games of the year, the Spider-Man games, the Tony Hawk games. Rest in peace. VGC relays that Bug Snacks is coming to Xbox Game Pass this month. Previously a console exclusive for the PlayStation 5, Bug Snacks is a collecting game that will come to platforms on April 28th. When it arrives on new platforms, it will also come with the Isle of Bug Snacks, a new update that includes a new playable area and several new characters to collect. At launch, the game will be 25 bucks on Xbox and Windows 10 and Steam, but it, again, it's coming day one to Game Pass for Xbox, PC, and Cloud, so just play it that way if you're subscribed. I'm actually interested in giving this a try. Uh, the developer's Young Horse. These are the guys that did Octodad, and I'm really interested to try this game. It's really weird, but uh, I'm happy it's coming to Xbox nonetheless. I'll give it a go. VGC relays that Striking Distance has said it's planning to share more info on its upcoming horror game, The Callisto Protocol, soon. Announced during the Game Awards in 2020, The Callisto Protocol is a brainchild of Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield, while also Glenn Schofield, while also uh, former Sledgehammer Games and Visceral Games boss, who has appointed CEO of the new PUBG Corporation development studio Striking Distance in 2019. It's a real big talent behind this game. People are really looking forward to it. They announced that we will be getting more info for it soon. So it's been a while since we've heard from it. So it is nice to know we're going to get some kind of information. Next, VGC relays that the companion game designed to set up uh, Suikoden Chronicles or Euden Chronicles, a spiritual successor to Suikoden, the JRPG game, will be released on all major formats this May on the 10th. Euden, Euden, Euden Chronicles Rising will be released on Xbox Series X, S, 1, and PC. will also be available on Game Pass on both console and PC the day it comes out. So May 10th, interesting little JRPG slice of history coming to Xbox. Penultimate uh, VGC relays that Techland have confirmed the introduction of a new game plus mode for Dying Light 2, which will be out later in the month. It'll be available as one of the biggest patches coming to the game the studio has released. Patch 3, which is targeted for the release on all platforms by the end of April, will also include many fixes to the game's solo and co-op modes. And finally, VGC relays that a new job listing has suggested that Bungie could be planning to start a Destiny anime TV show in development. Company's currently looking for a senior producer, linear media role, which would see a successful candidate making uh, taking control of Destiny's IP from the approval process for an externally developed linear media story. Notably, the required skills section of the application list that experience with licensed products or other animation, scripted television development, current programming. So, we know they want to get into cross media. This is probably, you know, probably has something to do with that. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our news of any variety this week. Now let's uh, start to wind down the podcast, chill out with some closing segments. We've got a couple right here. Uh, first of all, new games coming to Xbox for the week of late April, April 11th to the 15th. So from the Xbox Wire, we got uh, eight new games worth noting. Happy Basu Day. Uh, CRT filter over a little collecting Mario Brothers knockoff chicken Billy Hatcher game, whatever. Blast Brigade versus the Evil Legion of Dr. Creed. This game looks fun in the art style department. Looks like a little shmup game with an arcade arcade art style. Might be worth a try. Limb Hunter, April 13th, optimized for Series X and S. 8-bit little Game Boy Color game with a robot. Hidden Shapes, Animals, and Lovely Cats. Comes out April 14th. This game looks like what is that, Rib Riven or whatever, that PlayStation 1 game? This, this actually looks really cool. I, I need to see a trailer and see what the fuck this is supposed to be. Ah, but it says puzzles. No, gross. 
Nine Clues, The Secret of Serpent Creek comes out April 15th. This literally looks like a shadow man fucking a shadow boy in the in the boy's locker room. I'm not trying to be mean or facetious. This is legitimately what this screenshot looks like. I am made uncomfortable by this. It looks like a point-and-click adventure game. I'm calling the police. Battle Kid, Fortress Apparel comes out April 15th. Looks like a Mega Man knockoff. And Flower Shop, Summer in Fairbrook, April 15th comes to... Xbox Series X and S optimized for them in smart delivery and all. Looks like some kind of farming sim. And then finally, we've got Sally Face coming out April 15th. It looks a little creepy. There's a female character wearing some creepy mask. I don't know if this is a murder mystery. Yes, it looks like that's the case. It's got a deviant art style. No thank you. But uh, if you want to be spooked while also being uninspired by an art style, then you can play that game. Now, guys, as a reminder for the, week, for the month of April, with Games of Gold, we've got another site, four games, another site available for the rest of the month. We've got Hue coming April 16th through May 15th, so that one's just about to come up. Outpost Coloki X, which is available until the 15th, so you got like a day left to download that shit. Go ahead and do it. And then MX vs. ATV Alive, available the 16th or the 30th, so just about to be available. Get sure, Make sure you download it, you, you good little boys and girls. So with that said... Two hours down, podcast is in the can. That's episode 149, baby. Next week we'll come back. It will be episode 150. I want to take this end of the show, as always, to thank you all for listening. Always appreciate your support. Remember to comment in, leave five-star reviews, um, you know, or, or leave a downvote or a bad review if you think that the show is weak or needs improvement and you have some constructive feedback for me. Uh, it's not like it really affects the growth of the show anyway. The show's not really growing. So uh, any feedback is welcome. And constructive feedback always helps me to understand how I can make a better show for you guys. So I would appreciate any and all feedback that you could provide. Um, if you like the show, feel free to subscribe to it iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, anything, Xbox on podcast, you know where to find it. Just go ahead, support it. It really means a whole lot to me. But more than anything, I just appreciate you guys even taking the time to listen. Uh, follow me on Twitter if you want to engage in any way. That is at Jesse DeRosa on Twitter. We can uh, chat it up if you have any questions for me personally or if you want to just follow along with my stupidity. And then um, lastly, if you want to come hang out with me in the community, we are streaming every Monday night over at twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. This past week, we actually had a lot of fun. We played some Sonic games in celebration of the new Sonic movie. Um, had a great time. It was really fun getting to just kind of play a game. I'm really nostalgic games. I'm really nostalgic for and have a lot of uh, fondness for. And some of the chat uh, came by and we're also really excited to see some Sonic stuff too. So it was really quite nice. We had a good time, some fun conversation, looking forward to doing that again. I was going to stream this weekend, but uh, Arctic Chief kindly reminded me that it's Easter, so probably not doing that. But we'll be back next Monday for sure for the stream, and then, of course, next Thursday for our next episode 150 of the, of the podcast. So, guys, until next week, thank you so much for your support as always. Have a great week. Stay safe. Happy Easter for those of you who celebrate it. And until next week, power your streams. Oh, wait. Oh, that's, that's the Twitch. Power your dreams. Watch your step. Please be safe And it's a long way to go Till we get home And piece by piece I took it slow And I found myself Outside your door What I
say these things But it's just too much to take And I've fallen away from you